Let us pray together. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the journey that we've been on. We thank you for the faithfulness this past week and for the faithfulness that you'll continue to show in our lives until we take our final breath. I pray, God, now that as you transition to your message, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Holy Spirit, guide me today. Holy Spirit, lead me today to speak the words of truth. And I pray, God, that our ears will be open to receive your message with humility, O oh Lord. Let us soak up your word here today. Cast aside every distraction. We lay all our crowns, all of our rights, all of our worries. Lord, we lay them at your feet, O oh Lord. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your precious son, Jesus Christ, I pray, and God's people pray. Amen and amen. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. I missed you guys. I hope you guys had a great week. We are now in our final sermon of our Philippians series, and the title is called The Grace of Jesus Christ. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, The Grace of Jesus Christ? Now, our last message on our Philippians series, the majority of the message will be scripturally led. And I pray that you will just open up your hearts and your ears and allow God, as we finish up this series, to allow God to speak to us and for us to soak up in his word and for us to grow, not just in our knowledge, but to have the conviction in our heart to live a life that is full of courage, that is full of confidence, that is found in Jesus Christ. So let's start with today's scripture. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 23, our last verse of our Philippians. And it says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I'll read it one more time. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The grace of Jesus Christ. As Christians, this is the single and the greatest blessing that we can receive. For Christians, this is our everything. The definition of grace is this. Definition of grace is God extending his graciousness freely. It's God showing favor and loving kindness and goodness to us human beings, to us Christians, to the whole world. So when grace is given freely, letter A, God calls and invites us to worship him in obedience and in truth. It's a response to God. And let it be, God calls us to extend the grace that was given to us, to extend the grace received to each other in community, to our brothers and sisters, to our neighbors, to our fellow neighbors, to reflect the graciousness of God. So we receive grace from Jesus Christ, and in turn, we give grace, and we are gracious to other people. We give grace to others. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 22, 
It says in verse 37, Jesus says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. And verse 39, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we understand the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we understand that it's not just our relationship with God, our individual relationship with God, up and down, but it's also the relationship with our brothers and sisters, to the people around us, to love our neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So going back to the definition of grace, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this, he calls it cheap grace versus costly grace. With the definition of cheap grace, he says this, he says cheap grace is the daily enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the constellations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as a church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands. Without asking questions or fixing limits, grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth. The love of God taught as a Christian conception of God, an intellectual essence to that idea is held to be of itself sufficient to secure remission of sins. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace therefore amounts to denial of the living word of God. In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the word of God. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. All for sin could not atone. Well then, let the Christian live like the rest of the world. Let him model himself on the world's standards in every sphere of life and not presumptuously aspire to live a different life under grace from his old life under sin. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. That is the definition of cheap grace. But with the definition of costly grace, priceless grace, this is what he says. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this, Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. 
and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it thus justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You are bought at a price and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. I'll say it again. What has cost God so much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon on his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but deliver him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is the sanctuary of God. It has to be protected from the world and not thrown to the dogs. It is therefore the living word, the word of God, which he speaks as he pleases him. Costly grace confronts as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Going back all the way from the, to the beginning, just like in the book of Genesis, the question is, will we leave God's presence by covering ourselves in leaves of shame? Or will we enter God's presence with his garments of grace? We were able to enter his throne because of grace. We are here today, alive today, because of his grace. We're able to worship God today and praise him today and give him thanks for all the blessings we have because of his grace. That's why it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. I'll say that again. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. It says you have fallen away from God's grace. I'll say it again. You have fallen away from God's grace. So many times we find the extreme version, the extreme end. Oh, we do whatever we want. I'm forgiven anyway. And the other extreme end, well, it's by works, it's by my discipline, it's by my accomplishments that I am able to enter the presence of God, that I am somewhat better than you because I go on missions, because I go to retreats, because I give funds to charities, to places to make ourselves feel better. By law, we are perfect. By law, none of us are perfect. By law, we are all doomed for all of eternity. By law, we all fall short of the glory of God. If God was a fair God, if he was a fair God today, we all deserve death, instant death. We should not even be here. But praise be to God for his grace. Because of grace that we are able to do what we do. By grace, we are able to worship him. By grace, we're able to read his word and to devour on his word, to devour on his food, to be filled with this living water so that we can have life. By his grace, I am able to preach the message that I am preaching today. By grace, we are here. And it's all because of his grace. I'll say it again. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. So the question is, will you fall forward in grace or will you fall away from God's grace? I pray that as a church, 
I pray that as an individual who are listening today, that as a community of God, that we would always fall forward in grace, to God's grace. Also, to key point, what I mentioned earlier in the beginning, that we have learned through our Philippians series that it's not just about me, right? It's not just about Paul, the individual, about him and him and him. It's not about one other individual. It's not about living an individualistic lifestyle. The danger of individualism in our day and our society right now is so dangerous because we just put ourselves first before others. But humility says we put others' interests above our own. Individualism, one of the greatest dangers in our society, actually throughout all history, when we put ourselves first, when we think that we are God, that we are so much like God. But again, we learn through the Philippine series that it's not just about me or about myself. But we've been learning in the Philippine series that it's about the community. It's about the teamwork. It's about family. It's about one another. Just like what we read in Matthew chapter 22. It's not just loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's also about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about community. It's about each other. It's about us working together. Not for evil, but for good. For what is godly that is found in Jesus Christ. United in Christ Jesus. We are called to be together in this fight together. For it is us. There is no first, second, and third. Or last. We are all in it together. For we will all, and we need to reach the final destination, and we will. You may go first, I may go last, but at the end of the day, we are in it together. There's no first place, there's no second place, or third prize. We're in it to get the prize of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we are called to do. Definition of grace going further. A new dictionary of biblical theology, it says to define the word grace. It says those who have received and are being transformed by the grace of God should be willing also to acknowledge that same grace at work in the lives of others. Generosity are to characterize relationships within the Christian community and all believers as recipients of the grace of God. I'll say it again. All believers as recipients of the grace of God make essential, albeit different contributions to the life of the community. The gracious of God calls for robust faith in action on behalf of the poor. Again, grace is not just for me, but grace is something that is extended to my brothers and my sisters, to the community that I am in. It's not just about myself, but it's about us together as a family of God. So going back to our main verse, verse 23, our last verse of Philippians, aren't you excited? We're finally in the last verse. We, it's June. Half a year we've been at this with Lent and everything that's been happening, with the pandemic and everything, and with the theme, with the word back here. The vision word for this year, steadfast with the book Philippians. We're finally here. Verse 23, going back, which sums up the whole book of Philippians to us, to the readers. In 2020, 
I pray that this will encourage you. This is how Paul ends his letter. He says in verse 23, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Point number one is this. His grace brings us peace. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, His grace brings us peace. Peace. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, going back to our, our earlier verse, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, to present your request to God. And then it says, And the peace of God, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. It says Jesus, he promises the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what gives us the peace that we receive. After Jesus ascended to heaven, it says he will give us an advocate, a counselor, our friend, the one who will walk with us, the one who will live in us, who will guide us who will direct our course, who will bring the conviction in our hearts to know the truth of God. It says in John chapter 14, verse 16 to 31, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will Obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, please pay attention, whom the Father will send in my name, because the key verse is coming, will teach you, all things will remind you of everything I have said to you. Holy Spirit is going to remind us. He's going to teach us all things. This is the key verse, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's finish up verse 28. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. 
I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. We see right here that in the book of Philippians, even in prison, Paul is at peace with God for the Holy Spirit is with him. That it says that I will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And who is that? It's the spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is what gives us peace for he is with us and he lives in us. Meaning if you were to undergo any difficulty in life or if you're wrongly accused and you're somehow find, you find yourself in prison as Paul was here as he's writing, as he wrote the letter to the Philippian church in the book of Philippians, will you be at peace? Will you be in the peace of God? Will you be lost and anxious like those who are in the world? Lost and anxious, worrying about what tomorrow will bring. As Christians, we have nothing to worry about. For when we worry, we will not add a single hour to our life, it says. It says, trust him, for he will take care of you. For the Holy Spirit lives in you. Do you believe that? For the Holy Spirit walks with you. For he is with you, and he is in you right now at this moment. Even as we speak, even as we're listening to the message, the Holy Spirit, our advocate, is speaking to us. Is convicting our hearts to know the truth, to know, not just know in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but to believe in faith and to know that he is good. And through the blood that was shed for us, that through the resurrection, that I am alive, that I have been dead in my sin. But when I have died with Christ, when he rose, I rose with him, and I am alive in him. Because he lives, I live. Because I live, you also will live, it says in verse 19. As Christians, we understand that we have peace, not like the world, not the world that, that the peace that the world gives. For the peace of the world is fleeting. It is temporary. You may have peace for a while, maybe for a little bit or for a long time, but we understand it is temporary and it is fleeting but the peace that god gives us is greater than the worldly peace that we have going back what does jesus say verse 27 peace i leave with you my peace i give you i do not give you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid why does he tell us to not be afraid not only do we live in a broken world full of sin but in verse 30, he reminds us that the prince of the world, who is the prince of this world? That's Satan. It says, prince of this world is coming. But what does Jesus say? What does he say right after? He says, he has no hold over me. There is no being. There is no power. There is no love. There is no grace greater than our Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the giver and the maker of all things. Worldly peace comes and goes. It is fleeting. The peace that comes from our advocate, 
When I say advocate, I'm talking about the, the definition of advocate means he is our sponsor. That he is our promoter. That he is our backer. He supports us. He guides us. He pushes us to the truth. The Holy Spirit cannot be shaken. That's why I have two sub points with number one. Letter A, in life, we will have perfect peace. Letter B, in death, we will have perfect peace. I'll say it again. In life, we will have perfect peace. And letter B, even in death, we will have perfect peace. There is absolutely nothing to be fearful for. Nothing. That's why we are reminded, if you're still wearing the deep roots, the bracelet, one of the verses in there is 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, and 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4 says what? You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We can overcome because the one who is in us, who is in us, is Jesus Christ, is God, is the Holy Spirit, is in us, is greater than the one who is in the world, is greater than Satan, is greater than the things and the attacks of this world. We can overcome all things. There's nothing to be fearful for. First John chapter 4, verse 4. For he lives in you. Please turn to your neighbor and say, he lives in you. If there's no one next to you, look at yourself in the mirror, do a selfie. First John chapter 5, verse 4 says this, Because everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. So again, his grace brings us peace. The peace of God which transcends our understanding. Amen. Oh, one more thing. Whenever we do each point, we're going to say amen. Amen? Okay, so again, what's number one? Number one is his grace brings us peace. Amen. Number two, his grace brings us joy. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, his grace brings us joy. It says in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it say? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Please turn to your neighbor and say, all joy. Joy comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. True joy comes from God. Happiness fleets because it happens from our happenings. Our happiness happens from our happenings, from our situations, from what we have, from what I don't have. It's like a child. You give him a toy. You give him or her a toy, and they're happy for a little bit, but yet it is fleeting. But joy comes from knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. It is proven statistically that when a person, when we as human beings, when we are joyful, when we're happy, when we're joyful as human beings, that we live longer. 
But the problem is that happiness comes and goes. But joy keeps us going even in times of trials. And because we keep going, we, we, our hope is greater than the hope that we have in this world. We live longer. That's why it says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Meaning, when we live in sin, as human beings, as Christians, when we continue to live in sin, we live in stress, and stress equals disease. When we're stressed, we are more prone to getting sick, unhealthy thinking, which leads to depression, which is depression, which leads to an unhealthy lifestyle. But when we're joyful, we have reason and hope to continue going, to continue living on, even when we have nothing. This does not mean that Christians will have an easier life. That's not what I'm saying. And we'll face no hardships. No, not at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We will have a lot as Christians. We will undergo many trials, it says. And in trials, we remember to remain joyful in God. That we remain hopeful in our Lord Jesus Christ. For he walks with us. For our joy comes from him. That's why it says in James chapter 1. Verse 2 to 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy when? Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because trials of many kinds will give us perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that we can be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. That we are no longer like infants tossed back and forth whenever waves and storms come. That we still crave spiritual milk, the basic things. Even though the basic is important, the basic in anything, any sport, any martial arts, anything, the basic is the foundation. You need to have the basics down. If you have the basics wrong, then everything that you add on top of that is lopsided and it will eventually crush and it will fall. But again, as Christians, we are to know our basics, but on top of that, build from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from glory to glory, and we become bold in Jesus Christ. We become mature individuals that no longer it's not about me. It's not a life about me. It's not about living for myself, but it's about living for God and for others. And remember that that's what a mature Christian is called to do. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, tells us this. To be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. To what? To remain joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Whenever we are undergoing trials and difficulties in life, as Christians, we are called to be joyful. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.4, 4, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, His grace brings us joy. And let us say, Amen. Amen. Point number three. His grace brings us humility. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, His grace brings us humility. You're only but a mere breath. Let me just remind you that. For the young people who think that they will live forever. Know that this life will not last forever. We've known people who have passed away at a young age. We have family members who passed away when we were younger. And we understand this life is but a mere breath. The scripture reminds us, and again, remember what I said in the beginning, this is going to be scripturally led. James chapter 1 verse 10, And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. James chapter 4 verse 14, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 1 Peter 1, 24. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. 1 Chronicles 29, 15. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Psalm 39, verse 5. Yet made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath even those who seem secure. Psalm 102, verse 3. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. Psalm 114, verse 4. They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22. Don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? Job chapter 8, verse 9. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. For this reason, for this reason, and I'm ending with this scripture for this point. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What are we called to do? Draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings. Amen. Amen. His grace brings us humility. Amen. Point number four, his grace brings us unity. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, his grace brings us unity. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all, not some, all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one 
all one, all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. We've been going over this passage over and over again, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 during our Philippine series. We talked about the body, though one has many parts. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that like this so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other, equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And I say this phrase all the time. Your team is only strong as your weakest link. We are only strong as our weakest link. Meaning we are all in it together. To win together. Every role is an important role. Every act that we do. Every service that we do. For one another. Picking up, picking up a cup. Or getting the napkins, setting up the table, getting the food. Whatever we do, small to big, it doesn't matter. Whether it's visible or invisible, they hold eternal value in the kingdom of God. It's an important role. Every act, every role is important. It's crucial in the kingdom of God. There's eternal value in every act of service that we do. Again, your team is only strong as your weakest link. His grace brings us unity. Amen? Amen. And point number five is this. Amen. And amen. Can you turn to your neighbor and say amen and amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 23. How does Paul end his letter? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What does amen mean? As Christians, some of us, we don't even know why we say amen. What does it mean? Amen means so be it. It means to be trusted. It means I affirm God's truth. This is why I, I say to the mission team, I've said it to the mission team, I say to you guys, make sure when we say amen, we say it out loud. Young people and old people these days, we love to say amen in our thought. You say it's the heart that matters, it doesn't matter. But it is meant to be proclaimed out loud for others to hear, to declare in the body of Jesus Christ. Again, it's not just about me, about myself, but it's about declaring together amen. So be it, to be trusted. I affirm God's truth. The singing out loud, proclaiming out loud together as a body of Jesus Christ. That we are united in the banner of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, Jewish, Islamic prayers, and with the word amen. Although not all Muslims use it, over the years... I formed the habit, as you, as you have noticed, whenever I pray, especially when I do the intro prayer, I say amen and amen. It's actually biblical. I actually didn't know before I started doing it. And one day I was reading Psalms. I'm like, oh, wow, it's in there. 
And it's, it's just reinforcing. It's, it's found in Psalm 41, verse 13. It's found in Psalm 72, verse 19. It's found in Psalm 89, verse 52. Amen and amen. So it's not, it's, it's, it's kind of like this. It's not, I have your back. But when we say amen and amen, when I'm saying it, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm just reinforcing it more and more. I'm affirming it even more. So it's saying, I will have your back forever and forever. Instead of just saying, I have your back. It's saying, I have your back forever and forever. It's like re- reinforcing the truth more and more. It's kind of like in the zombie apocalypse or the show The Walking Dead. We see people who get bitten are the ones who wear just T-shirts. And I don't understand why they would just wear T-shirts, right? It's like you're so open, exposed, vulnerable, especially when you go out hiking. It's good to wear longer pants even though it's hot. If I was in the zombie apocalypse, I would wear a long sleeve, a jacket, even though it's hot, what would you choose? A t-shirt versus a jacket? What would you choose? A 1995 Toyota Corolla, Ronnie, right Ronnie? Versus an FJ Cruiser. Which car would you drive? So when we say amen and amen, I'm not saying you should say amen and amen. But when we say amen, know the meaning and the weight behind the word when we say the word amen. And when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? We don't just say amen at the end. For this amen does not come from myself, but it comes from who? Our mediator, the one who died for us. His name is Jesus Christ. That's why it says in John 14, verse 13 to 14, and I will do whatever you ask, what? In my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything, what? In my name, and I will do it. The name of Jesus Christ. Meaning when Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn. And now we have access to the Holy of Holies. We're only the high priest in the Old Testament. Only a high priest could go once a year, and they had to do a weeks of preparation for him to go in to atone for the sins of all the Israelites. But now, through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, we have access. The veil has been torn. We were able to access the holy of holies, the holy throne of God. Because if we were not holy, we would instantly die. But we are holy, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Through his blood that was sprinkled, that was shed on my behalf. So when God sees us, he doesn't just see me and my sin. He sees Jesus Christ who is standing in front of me, my mediator. Through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we now have access to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, of him. Through Jesus Christ's flesh and blood that was shed for me, I have access to his grace, to his grace. How amazing is that? I have two sub-points for us in point number five, amen and amen. And my first sub-point, letter A, is this. We pray in Jesus' name. Meaning when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Why? For there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. We say amen, for it is only through Christ, only through 
the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, that we have access to our Heavenly Father in heaven. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. That in the name of Jesus Christ, I'll say it again, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I'll say it again. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. We understand that it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we can do anything. For without his name, we can do nothing. Acts chapter 3, it says, One day, Peter and John were going up the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter says, several gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, walk. The story goes on. Taken by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The beautiful lesson here is that Peter gave this man the greatest gift, and the gift was Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ. Christ, for there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is not a genie that we use to exploit, but we say amen because of the faith and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, because we realize, because we realize that without his righteousness, without Jesus Christ, there is no answer, there is no hope. We say amen, not in ourselves or in our own abilities. But we do it because of the hope and the confidence and the courage that is found, that comes from knowing him. Our confidence comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of like when I ask you to go pick up something or someone asks you to go pick up something and you don't know that person and you've never been there before and you're a very a noob, you're, you're at it and you're afraid and maybe you're nervous. But when you get there, it's kind of like you say, oh, this person sent me. AC sent me. You say the name of that person that knows that person that sent you. And then they say, oh, good, okay, you're all set, come in. And they treat you like their own. It's kind of like that. So when God hears our prayers, and when we say in the name of Jesus Christ, when he hears the name of Jesus Christ, he says, it is good. Because it is pleasing to his nose, to his scent, to his eyes, and to his ears. Because it is the perfect sacrifice. 
for it is the name above all names. That when we say amen, we say amen in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeshua, Jesus Christ, which means God saved. Yahweh, salvation, God saves. Hebrew, it means God saves. Greek, it means Jesus Christ. That there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Which leads to my second sub-point, letter B. That there is power in his name. As Christians, we must know the power of God's name. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Isaiah 43, verse 25, he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, it remembers your sin no more. It says in Isaiah 48, verse 9 through 11, For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 9. But for the sake of my name, I brought them out of Egypt. I did it to keep my name from being profaned in the eyes of the nations among whom they lived and in whose sight I have revealed myself to the Israelites. It is for his name's sake. For his name's sake he saves us. For his name is everything. His name is consistent. It, is, it has power. It is his name that he gives, through, he gives us grace. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He saves us. It is for his name's sake. He saves you. He gives you grace. He gives you mercy. For he cannot let his name be defamed. For there is power in his name. Whenever you give reference, you say, I know this person. If that person's name is crooked, and that person is someone who has no credibility, then there is no power. There is no substance to your reference. But if there's substance in your reference, in the person, in the name that has, sent, that, is, that has sent you to where you are going or to the interview that you are going to, that you understand if there's credibility, if there's substance, if there's worth, if there's consistency and character integrity behind that name, then we understand that we can trust. Even though I don't know you, I can trust you because of the name that you're being sent from. So we understand that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. And his name can never be changed. Which leads to our sub-point letter C. His name is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is my last sub-point. I'm closing with this. His name is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For all of eternity. James 1.17 tells us, and if you could close your eyes with me at this time. It says, who does not change like shifting shadows. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If Jesus Christ, the name above all names, is the same always, then we are called to pray in his name forever and ever 
and ever for all of eternity. That in life, we pray in the name of Jesus. That even in death, we pray in the name of Jesus. In trials, we pray in the name of Jesus. In hardships, we pray in the name of Jesus. When we're going through good times, when we have blessing upon blessing, we pray in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the name above all names. We pray all this. We pray. We continue to pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We continue praying. So right now, with our eyes closed, I want to invite you here today to get your heart right before God. You know, we've been on a long journey here going through the Philippian series, especially this year. You know, last year we planned already, we pre-planned. You know what, this year we're going to save funds, especially with all the transition that's happening. And the word that we got was the word steadfast, and I shared that with you guys. It was a book of, it was, it was found in the book of Philippians. And the word steadfast came. I didn't, I didn't even know that the word steadfast was found in the book of Philippians. And we went together. We've been, doing, we've been on this series for a while now. And half a year has passed. We're now in June. We're going to hit July soon. And God is good. God is always good. And He is always faithful. And we've been in this transition now. And we're here today. And as we're here today, and as we're in the last phase, the last part of this sermon of Philippians series, can we just pray together right now? Can we pray not just for ourselves and for our situations, but for our church and for one another? And let's pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us remember today the lessons that we have learned that's found in Verse, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We learned today what grace meant. That grace is not just for me to receive, but it's about giving grace, extending grace to my brothers and my sisters. We learned today that his grace brings us peace. We learned today that his grace brings us joy. We learn today that His grace brings us humility. We learn today that His grace brings us unity. We learn today about amen and amen, what it means. We learn what it means to pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, His grace brings us peace. Amen. His grace brings us joy. Amen. His grace brings us humility. Amen. His grace brings us unity. Amen. And our last point, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen. Can we just get together right now in our own places, in our own respective places? Let's just lift up our voices and pray to our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for being so faithful. God, during this year and the season that we're in, God, faithful, faithful you have been, faithful you are, and faithful you will be. I will continue to hold on to you, God, and I will continue to follow you. Jesus, help us to overcome the attacks and the temptations of this world, but help us to overcome through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we look to you, God. Holy Spirit, come. Give us the conviction of truth, 
to know the truth, God, of your word and your promises. God, I pray right now, God, that you cast aside every attack of the enemy. I pray, God, that you just come and strengthen us as a church. God, as half a year has finished, God, as we have another half to go, Lord, let us be consistent and faithful. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for being on this journey with us together. That God, that not even for a second did you leave us. God, you are always there with us through our ups and our downs. Lord, you are always here with us and you guide us. Lord, I pray, God, that as we're at the half-year mark of this year with 2020, God, it's not just about the beginning or how we start or it's not just about the middle and the journey, but it's about how we end as well. And God, I pray that we don't know when this life will end. For some of us, it could be tomorrow, it could be in a year, three years, 10 years, or 20 years. Who knows what this life can bring? But Lord God, we know that who holds our future? We don't know what it will happen tomorrow, but we know God, the one who is holding our future. And we know the one who is holding our lives in your hands. So God, I pray that God, that not only Will we just start off strong and start off well, but Lord, that we will end well. That we will do everything for your kingdom and for your glory. That every breath that we have, every breath that is left inside of us, that until we take our final breath, that we will live for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, strengthen this church. Strengthen us. God, strengthen and guide us. Fill us with your wisdom and your knowledge. And more than knowledge, Help us to have a true and genuine relationship with you. And out of the overflow from the love and the relationship that we have in you, that will flow love and grace that has been bestowed upon us, oh God. Watch over us today. Strengthen this church. Strengthen the Deep Roots Church. Strengthen the churches all around, the faithful churches all around this world who are being persecuted, God, for their faith. I pray for strength and for your guidance today. We thank you. We love you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen.